You're listening to the Meditation and Attachment Podcast with George Haas. For more information, please visit our website at www.metagroup.org. That's www.m-e-t-t-a-g-r-o-u-p.org. I like to talk about things in terms of a skill set. Uh, I have two things I want to say about this, um, so hopefully I won't forget the second one. Um, there's this, a, a set of skills that secure people just have, and they learn them in childhood. And uh, the skill sets where other attachment strategies are different from that. But in secure functioning, a coherent narrative is the first thing. Secure people tend to see things in a fairly balanced way, and they're able to build a coherent narrative about what happened to them so that it makes sense in the way that they, they explain things in terms of their experience. The second one that the second thing that secure people do is they see the value of attachment and in insecure people that's one of the glaring things that's missing. Insecure people don't see the value of attachment enough to put the resources into a primary relationship or even in almost into B relationships because they don't have the experience in early childhood of getting a return on the enormous investment that children make in their caregiver. And I, I really want to urge people who have that view to change your mind about that. Because you, you had an accurate perception of not getting your needs met in childhood does not mean that all people will not meet your needs. It just means that you didn't get them then. And that if you can change your mind about that and be willing to, to uh, risk engagement with people now, you can actually find people who will delight in you the way that you are without needing to be different for them, without needing to perform, without all of the other things that we think we might do or, or whatever deficits we have. Um, but you have to put your, you have to be willing to engage at that level of commitment in order to get that to happen. And the third thing that uh, secure people have is mentalizing. The mentalizing capacity, which I touched on a little bit earlier, we, we can evaluate with an instrument the capacity to mentalize that people have, and it's a, it's a one to nine scale. And secure people right out of the box, typically with no intervention, can mentalize at a six or higher in the scale. And dismissing people in the four to five range and preoccupied people in the three to four range and disorganized people in the one to three range. It's an exponential scale. So somebody who uh, uh, mentalizes at a six compared to somebody who mentalizes at a three is a fourfold factor of being able to understand what's happening and how to respond to the situation. So it's, a, it's an amazing skill to develop. So one of the things that's useful about engaging in this is to really uh, understand where you're at and so that the, the deficits can be enhanced and uh, the things that you already have are good. The second thing I want to say is that the capacity for one person to emotionally regulate another person is largely unconscious and automatic. And one of the things that you want to pay attention to in the encounters of people as you're considering them for intimacy is whether or not they're emotionally regulating for you. 
you can really like them and really think that they're terrific and the, the way that they respond to you is still agitating. Or they have really very little effect on how you feel emotionally. And so what you're really beginning to look for in this is who, after sitting with them for a half an hour, do you feel much calmer and much more regulated by? It's one of the, the, the central basis of secure functioning. And we often ignore that. And it's not personal, and, and actually we can't really do much about it because it's unconscious and automatic, the process that happens. So if you are considering somebody as a, a, a D or a C relationship and they're not particularly regulating, that's totally fine. But you wouldn't want to necessarily consider them as a B or an A because they won't be able to provide you with the emotional regulation that you need when you come back from your exploration all knocked sideways. Is that making sense? So in these random pairings of, of diet, sometimes people feel uh, regulated after, some people feel no change, and some people feel less regulated. Here's the rub. Some people you can experience as highly regulating, and they can experience you as highly dysregulating. It doesn't necessarily match. Some people that you feel highly regulating can get pretty much no response from you. Or somebody who finds you highly regulating, you could find irritating or not regulating. And so you have to really pay attention to the person who regulates you that you also have the capacity to regulate because that is the most stable ground for an intimate relationship. And if there's a disparity between them in that place, if they don't match well, and again, it's totally not personal. You can't really do anything about it. It's just whether you mesh or not. Y if you notice that you are regulated by somebody and they're regulated by you, you need to really value that highly because it's an unusual outcome. To secure, the experience of a, a secure child is that the way that they are is, is fine. Their, their caregivers think that that's just fine. They don't need them to be different. And there's a constant sense of delight in that beingness. And then insecure people don't have that because that wasn't the case for them. Um, one aspect is a, is a, a, a demand for performance. So uh, your caregivers could set high, high achievements that they need from you. They could uh, need you to engage in activities that they think reflects well on them but are indifferent to what your your interest in, in doing that is. Um, uh, and that tends to be more oriented toward people who grow up to be dismissing. Um, preoccupied people tend to get role reversed, uh, where they become the caregiver for their, ca their caregiver rather than the caregiver taking care of them. And if they don't take care of the caregiver, the caregiver isn't in shape to provide the adult access that children need to participate in the world. This particularly happens around school age where the, the parent isn't together enough to, to, in, to support the child going to school, so this, the child takes over the care of the caregiver. You, if you've ever had the experience of a 40-year-old, 6-year-old ordering the household around, that's that, that condition where the child has had to take over that. And it happens at about that age because that's when the brain develops enough that they can 
take that on. Um, is that all making sense in terms of conditioning? So as you listen to somebody else's story, uh, obviously you, you're in the relationships that you're currently in, so listening to those stories, and then as you move out into the world and encounter new people, um, opening this place where you really are uh, available to, to listen to the experiences that they have that affects the way that they respond to things also creates the possibility that you won't take everything personally, right? They have their conditioning and they respond from their place of conditioning. And you, as their, their caregiver in this intimate relationship you have with them, need to see that they're responding from this place of conditioning and know what to do to help them settle into a place where they're back in, in balance. Um, when you're in a relationship with somebody and they explain to you what happens to them where they get knocked off balance, and, and you figure out a way to respond to them, um, one of the things that creates a sense of security in the relationship is that when you see that happening to them without them needing to prompt you, you move in to help relieve the distress that they're experiencing. Is that making sense? So that you're actively engaged in their care, you're actively engaged in monitoring them, and you know what to do when you see their conditioning go off, so that, that, that you're an ally who just sort of shows up and, and helps them. Because we all, we all uh, experience the vicissitudes of life and we all get knocked over at different times. And uh, it doesn't matter whether you're good at the situation that they're not good at or the reverse your uh, obligation to them is to monitor how they're doing and to understand where they're at and then to provide the care that they need in those moments, whether they ask you to do it or not, in a way that they receive it as care. Is that making sense? Now, if you luck out and you match really well with a person and you're securely functioning, all of that may be left unsaid and not negotiated. But if you're coming from a place of in insecure relationships, most of that is going to have to be negotiated in such a way that you both feel like you're winning so that those issues drop in terms of conflict in the relationship. If you notice that you have enduring conflicts, it's because you haven't, uh, as a couple, worked out a uh, uh, a response to that that's that's useful to each of you. Um, anything else you want to say about the dyad before I launch into the next? Um, the best thing to do is to wait to uh, after your uh, to the time when neither of you are triggered actively in the moment, and then to uh, come out of the attachment mechanism and go into the collaboration system. This is a third system. You have the the attachment, the exploration, and you have the collaboration system. 
when somebody's triggered in their attachment, they're in fear of being abandoned, which is a, is, which is a really big threat. And so you can't come at them reasonably from that place. You have to shift out of that and go into collaboration. So in collaboration, um, you start by emotionally balancing. Um, the best way to tell whether somebody can deal cognitively with something is make a joke. I know it may seem insensitive in the moment, but humor is a cognitive function. If you tell somebody that you're close to a joke and they don't think it's funny, then you can't come at them logically or cognitively. You have to only come at them uh, with emotional soothing. If you don't come at, that, uh, at them with emotional soothing, they will feel unseen. Guess why? You haven't seen them. <laughs> I'm upset, I can't think, and you're trying to get me to talk about this. You come in with emotional soothing and every so often make a joke. And as soon as they start laughing, you know that their cognitive mind has turned back on. You're just being with them and managing the experience of being together in a good way, right? Stress, what is stress? Everything is stress. And what do you know about the cognitive function in relation to stress? It's reversely proportioned. The higher the stress, the lower the ability to think. Uh, abandonment terror is one of the most dysregulating experiences. Um, once they're back online, then you say something along the lines of, listen, this problem keeps coming up in our relationship. How are we going to solve it? And then begin this process of understanding that you have to solve it as a, as a couple. You can't, one person can't uh, insist on a solution because the other person won't really go along on it. And I, I said this earlier today, but you need to have the sense of the other person being committed to continuing an, uh, a, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, um, uh, an authentic or a um, committed to a ongoing discussion where they really are intending to find solution to it. Um, there's a word for that, but it's not coming into my mind. Um, and so you begin to talk back and forth about how each of you can be in those situations until you each find a response that makes you feel like you're winning. A win-win is required for these things or they don't settle. And you keep it open and you keep going back and forth with it, uh, trying different things until you find something that, that, that actually works for both of you and you can settle. And then you agree upon that's how you're going to respond in those situations. And it can be even practical to have a specific phrase that elicits a specific response. Sometimes one person gets emotionally dysregulated and can't regulate, and so you, you, it's important to have a, a timeout phrase. Um, I can't respond to this now. I will get back to you. That only works if you actually come back. You can't use it as a, a tabling. And it's negotiated. 
listen, this is knocking me off balance emotionally. I need to come back to it at a later time. And the other person has then a negotiated response to that, which is, fine, let me know when you're ready. And then you don't, what often happens in uh, arguments is you get so emotionally heated and your cognitive ability and filter drops down to the point that you say something or you do something to the other person which is more wounding rather than healing. And then in addition to the problem that was there, you have the additional wound that needs to be addressed. So it's better to stop. And if you think about it in the long game, if you're going to be intimately involved with somebody over a long period of time, there is a reasonable amount of time to negotiate these things. And then, uh, of course, not everything is solvable. Um, one of the things about uh, committed primary relationships is that the relationship uh, needs to be the highest value even higher than your individual exploration. And that you can get into trouble in relationships where one person is valuing it that way and another person isn't. And uh, so primary A relationships aren't the choice for everybody. But if it is, protecting the relationship and protecting the partner is paramount. So for instance, you would never say something to someone else that if your partner heard you saying it, they would be hurt by that. It's that, that level of protection so that they don't ever have to worry about going into a situation and, and having uh, something come back at them from you. And they would do the same for you. And the more you, you do that, the more you protect this space, the safer it is and the easier it is to be in the, the process of negotiating these things. And then uh, also understand that it is it would be very unusual for one person to be able to meet all of your needs and all of your exploration needs. And so there has to be space for you to be engaged with other people. Some people get so frightened about attachment that they want to prevent that from happening. So remember when I said with Dunbar numbers that the happiest people have a, 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 an A or Bs, and then they have Cs or Ds. The B portion, where you have multiple people that you're intimate with and they know everything about you, you're s if you have an A relationship, you're still protecting the A person at the B level. Then uh, um, you have multiple people that are emotionally regulating for you, so that if your A isn't immediately available to you, you have other people that you can go to to be emotionally regulated. But this is not the most common thing. In our culture, um, the majority of people have a primary relationship. They have no B-level relationships and they have C's and D's. They put 40% of their relationship energy into the A. They have no B's and 60% into their, their C's. What happens to you if you have one relationship that's emotionally regulating in your life and they get really mad at you? and they stop emotionally regulating you. You're completely dysregulated and you don't have anyone else to turn to, to help you. Which makes it even harder to solve the, the, the difficulty with the primary relationship. Um, <coughs> that making sense? 
So you want to have A's and B's, and you can evaluate your current relationship status and then uh, start developing these other relationships. Why do you want to have a lot of C's? Because everything's impermanent, and A's and B's come and go, and you want to be able to replace them from your C group when, when, y when you lose them. Um, did I completely answer your question or not? Absolutely. Okay. And more. Um, good. Collaborating is the main way that relationships work, um, secure relationships. If you have a problem with your partner, you really want to move into that collaboration and say, listen, this is a problem for me. How are we going to solve it? So that the two of you work it out together so you both feel like you're winning. And what you will notice if that happens is that, the, that those problems drop out of the relationship and it becomes safe and reliable. And you can, you count, you can count on it without reser reserving yourself from it. 